He's to the 45. He's oh, to he's the 50. Oh, no, he's not. No, he's not going to plant it in the midfield of the O, is he? Wow. Yes, he is. Rattler again to throw it. Steps up in the pocket. Throws on the run. Alright guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Kami Amaravi, and joined by my co-host, Stephen Brown. Stephen, how's life treating you these days? It's good. This has been a recovery week for me. Uh, as you can tell by my voice, um, had a little trip to Austin, Texas. It was a great trip, by the way. That was, um, yeah, 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 during the Architecture. Texas Oh my game. gosh. I learned so much about the uh, the Texas fan base and how much they do and don't care about uh, about the game. But it was it was a good trip. Obviously, my, my voice isn't back quite yet, but uh, it was good. I love it when Texas fans are upset. I mean, like there was one Oak- crying. Well, that's Still fantastic. Crying. I love that. Should have gotten a picture. I uh, I <laughs> I was on the back deck last night reading stuff for class and my wife she leans over to me and she showed me a story about a the supermarket crest right Uh, yeah and uh (laughs) apparently somebody encountered human feces i saw that i saw that on instagram on the on, on like on a package of pizza rolls and, you don't do that at Crest. Do I that mean, at Buy for Less. To be to be fair, they did it to the pizza rolls before the pizza rolls <laughs> did it to them. And secondly, what got me the most, what got me laughing the most was this line in the article that said, not only is it illegal, but it's also disgusting. Sure. And I I I lost it at that moment, but uh man, we got a game to talk about. I mean, like Western Carolina, 76 to nothing. Let's we'll talk about that in a second. Okay. I mean, the kid had 69 to nothing. That would have been nice. Uh, but let's talk about the the name of the game today. Lou Holtz and Notre Dame licensing play like a champion today. How? How do you do that? That's like Oklahoma State when they went and lobbied for a national title that wasn't theirs and stole it from army while they were busy fighting fascism in the, in damn Africa and Europe. Like what? And they're just going to go in stride and just and completely ignore. I mean, maybe we should, maybe we should invite Notre Dame folks on the podcast. Who's the Notre Dame person of Doug, of Doug Gottlieb's stature that we can invite on the in, on the podcast to explain. We could find someone for sure. Yeah, let's see what we got here. No, Bud Wilkinson had that that thing going since I think I want to say it was the forties. Yeah, something like that, dude. It, it's been a long time. Like post World War Two. Unbelievable. Right like I saw that after work. And was immediately offended because that's an Oklahoma. Like there are 
there are not that many things the state of Oklahoma can claim. I'm not talking about the university. I'm just talking about the state of Oklahoma. And the state of Oklahoma has Oklahoma football and, of course, like a flash in the pan of Oklahoma City Thunder stuff. But most of the good things that come out of the state are attributed to what's happening in Norman, one of them being the 47-game win streak and play like a champion today with dudes like Bud Wilkinson, Barry Switzer, Bob Stoops, God help him with that seven national title, and hopefully Lincoln Riley will bring in eight. And I was just, I, I was incensed by this idea that Lou Holtz would license, Lou Holtz in Notre Dame would license that out as if they're the ones that orig- originated that. The thing is, like, why do you even need to do that? Like, it hasn't been an issue up until this point. All of a sudden, you're just going to license it for, for what reason there? I mean, I guess. Sale. Maybe name image likeness. Maybe yeah, that's what I was thinking. But, name image likeness. Um, I just doesn't make sense. I'm sure. sure Play Oklahoma like a champion today. Beat to beat Toledo by three points. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to. I'm still trying to find someone we can talk to about this. Maybe Manti Teo. We'll see if we can get Manti Teo get, on he here. Get, he did get catfished. We can say there's going to be an. Uh, uh, some nice, uh, nice people on the nice women on the podcast that would like to talk to him, and I bet he. Oh my gosh! Sub a fake Twitter account. Yeah, I have to do that. Might get that done tonight. Do you remember? Oh god! Do you remember all of like how big of a deal ESPN made? Meant like ESPN made <laughs> yeah. all of that, and then like the next thing weeks. you know, it just like blew up, and he's like, "Yeah, it's fake. It, it, it's none of it was real." And then I just didn't know how to control it, so. And then he became a linebacker and is he even in the league anymore? I think he plays for the Chargers. Chargers, you're right. But they drafted Kenneth Murray, though. So, I mean. Or maybe he played. I think he plays somewhere. Uh, that's a good question, but. It's got to. That's the first thing we had to lead off with the podcast because Notre Dame, who is actively inferior to the University of Oklahoma football team because he had a jump start in history on Oklahoma and Oklahoma is still a better program of Chicago um, knowing also knowingly that, you know, Brian Kelly <clears throat> killed a guy and uh, Lincoln Riley has yet to do that. Uh, let's talk about Western Carolina, 76, nothing really. There's not a lot to gain from this. The things that I did mention when I was on the, on the Twitter handle were the first half on offensive line. They shuffled in a lot of guys, but consistently in the first half, the offensive line left to right, Anton Harrison, Marquise Hayes, Robert Conjol, Chris Murray, and Tyrese Robinson. In the second half, they started left to right, still Anton Harrison. So it seems like they want to go with Anton Harrison at left tackle. Eric Swenson at left guard, which I thought was, that caught me by surprise. I was not expecting that. Andrew Rame at center. Bray Walker, right guard, and Wanye Morris at right tackle. Anything to get out of that, or at, or other than that, just reps? Because I, that, that that was it's, the only thing I was wanting to get out of this game was reps yeah. and no injuries. And of course, we get injuries, but we did get a lot of reps. It's just reps. I mean, it's still Beatenbo trying to figure out what he's going to play in the latter half of the season. I think he's probably starting to get an idea. Um, we'll know a lot more this week, but. Uh, there's really nothing to get out of that rotation at all, other than he's still trying to figure it out. I I just don't understand why we we all know Rame is better. Yeah. 
the offensive line is better in there. The offensive line is better blocking, actively running the ball when Rain is in the ball game. What is going on? Other than Con Conjol Congol, he's he has senior leadership, and so maybe that might be a thing. Like he has experience and knows when to make calls, but is not the athlete or the athletic specimen or the physical beast that Andrew Rame is. Uh, but I still don't like it. It uh, could be a thing where maybe Rame just hasn't outright won that position in practice, and that's just kind of sending him a message. Which is, it's been done before by coaches, so it wouldn't very, be too surprising. It's a very Bill Beat and Bo thing to do. Right. Remember when? Remember when Jonathan Alvarez <laughs> yeah. started at center for like two games, and once it was time for Creed Humphrey to take over. Jonathan Alvarez retired from football. Which yeah, midseason. Led me to believe that there were lots of other. Basically, they were basically basically they just wanted uh, not Andrew Ray. My goodness, they wanted Cree to learn the playbook and get down the plays and the calls well enough for Alvarez to finally retire medically. And basically, they just used him to buy time, which I thought was kind of messed up. I'm, I know there's probably more to the story there, but that's what it looks like from the outside to me. <laughs> um, injuries, man. Bowman came up early with uh, Hammy. It looks like I don't think he's going to be end up going on Saturday. Washington is a little bit banged up. I don't know his status. Stutzman, he's, he said he <laughs> it was funny. He, I, I screenshotted it because I knew he was going to be forced to delete it later. He said, yeah, to the people that's asking me about my arm, I also don't know what's up. I'm getting a CT scan in the morning. And just like that, <laughs> the tweet was deleted. And so, because I, it looked like, like in Harry Potter when they try to cure his broken arm, but instead they take all the bones out and his, bo- and his arm just kind of oh, wiggly. Yeah. That's what it kind of looked like. But then, and upon further review, it looked like a shoulder thing. So I don't know if that's a thing where he could strap on a brace on his shoulder. I don't know if it's ligament damage. It's hard to. I, I haven't heard anything about it. Have you? I haven't heard anything as far as like the specific injury, but if it is shoulder, I would assume they would just probably call it for the season if they needed to do so like too. a surgery. Um, just because I've had shoulder surgery before during a season, it's it's almost impossible to come back from. Um, in that short time. So I would assume they would just call it good and, and get him ready for next season. I mean, assuming it is shoulder, but if it's like arm or something, you can, there's ways around that. And it's a good thing that it could, yeah. Right. Cause if it's an arm, like you you cast that shit, just just put a club on there. Yeah. Let the man go play. And I, I think about, I'm so glad Brian Odom is at OU because Oklahoma has depth and they've coached their linebackers. Well, Brian Asamoa, David Aguebu, Deshaun White. You can even put Caleb Kelly knows how to play a little bit inside because for some reason he's at the edge sometimes. I don't like that. I want him inside at playing that at that mic or that will. And he knows how to play both of those positions, which I feel comfortable with. We were like totally like disregarding a Shane Witter, which we were high on last year. Jamal Morris that got reps in the Tulane game. So actively just getting more reps. Thank God for Brian Odom being that linebacker coach. Uh, Which is the biggest injury? Let's say all three of these guys can't go against Nebraska. Which one means the most? 
I'd probably have to go with Bowman. I think uh, he's shown that he's he's probably the guy there at nickel. Um, I don't think Cradell's that bad of a player, but obviously they probably upsold him a little bit during the spring, um, especially during that chase to get Relique Brown. But I think him being the definitive starter and getting those reps early in the season and building that confidence, that's going to set him back a little bit. Yeah, and plus he, the, he, the physical specimen he is that right. uh, Cradell is not. And I mean, it's a close second with Washington, but I think Bowman being the starter and, and then there's not too much proven depth behind that, that position um, kind of wins him that, that little contest. Is there anything to gain from this Western Carolina game? It's 76, nothing. Pretty much every time they touch the ball, you expected them to gain at least five yards. Uh, Caleb Williams first play of the game is a power option, which the dude just beats the entire defense for like 60 yards downfield. It runs in, just runs out of gas. Is there really anything to gain from this? Because really, like, like, like we said earlier, just pray for no injuries and just get reps in on the offensive line. They kept the defense in for a very, very long time, far mm-hmm. into the second half. It was obviously not the case for the offense. And again, going back to last week or the week before the podcast, I wish Alex uh, Lincoln Riley had a little bit more Alex Grinch in him, which he wants to kill. Alex Grinch said, these dudes are not going to score a goddamn point. And that's it. And I wish, I wish Lincoln Riley would go to the school of Alex Grinch and just be that hard ass sometimes. And I, I'm sure Lincoln Riley is. I'm, I'm sure he's not that soft players coach that everybody makes him out to be. But man, Alex Grinch takes that crap to another level. Yeah. Is, is there anything to gain though? <clears throat> um, I mean, if you're looking for something like per player, I don't think there's anything to gain. Um, the biggest thing to take away from this game is a lot of guys are going to play with a little bit more confidence. I think you kind of saw that in the Tulane game. It's early on, and Tulane got a pretty hot start, and that that can kind of hurt your confidence going in um, throughout that game. So. Um, this was just a confidence builder and that's about it. I don't think there's anything else other than that. Yeah, I feel it's confidence, confidence builder, uh, getting some reps, getting, you know, a dress rehearsal, but taking it a lot more seriously, going through your reads, stuff like that, that, Hey, let's correct what we saw in Tulane in which we talked about this before that we started the podcast and we'll we'll talk about Tulane a little bit later. turns out they're probably going to be likely a decent team again and probably go to their fourth straight bowl game but nebraska let's talk about it game of the century it was on espn today i think on espn 2 or espn u in 1971 game of the game of the century 50 years later and holy freaking crap how (laughs) things have changed 50 years later oklahoma yes did they have a lull in the 90s they sure did but the 70s 80s early 90s pretty good team uh of course 99 stoops comes in oklahoma is a very good team for the most part for the rest of those next two decades nebraska those dudes 70s 80s whipped ou's ass in the 90s and then hit a lull for the next two decades until including now and my goodness i mean it's unbelievable And, and frost trying to get out of the OU game. Everybody else trying to get out of the OU game. And suddenly here yeah. we are about to play this game on Saturday. It's the first time OU's played Nebraska since the Big 12 title game that OU got behind 
against Taylor Martinez. It's like 17-0 or something in the first quarter. Yeah, I think it was 14-0. OU came, comes back okay, and Nebraska yeah. gets a field goal at the very end because he had an awesome kicker. Uh, Kenny Stills played a vital role in that game, and Austin Box played well. Rest in power to him. And Oklahoma ends up sending Nebraska off to the Big Ten with a with a loss in the in in the Big Twelve title game. Um, OU over under sixty two points. The spread is OU by twenty two. Eleven a.m. Fox kickoff. Let's talk about some memories about this game. Uh, we're we're both millennials. So what what are your what are your what are your memories of OU Nebraska? Because Gen X and Boomers will have far more sentiment going into this game because they lived through it. My dad, this dude talks about Keith Jackson all the damn time. I wasn't alive to see how good of a great tight end Keith Jackson was, but just by seeing the film and talk, listen to my dad talk about him, I can understand why he believes that way. Uh, but our kind of attitudes are different because when we were growing up, we had divisions, north and south. Right. So you only play Nebraska every every two years. So, but what are your memories about this game and what makes it special to you? Oh man, there's a few of them. I mean, obviously I think one of the, the biggest ones is during the 2000, 2001 national championship run. I think it was a catch by, it was a Wolfolk that caught that, that tipped pass. Yeah. It was Andre Wolfolk. Wolfolk. So that's, I mean, that's one of those, those big highlights as one of those OU memories, but I think it was like either late middle school or early high school. Um, I think it was the first OU Nebraska game I ever went to. It was 2008, so they absolutely just destroyed Nebraska. Uh, but my my assistant football coach told me if I made two touchdowns, he would take me to the game, and I did that. So it was a night game um, in Nebraska or at OU, OU Nebraska. I think OU went up like 21 to zero in like three minutes of football. It was insane. It was Sam Bradford. I think Quentin Cheney got off to a hot start there. So. Um, that's one of those those ones you kind of remember, even though it wasn't that great of a game. And I think was that the same night that Texas Tech beat Texas to uh, send so. OU to the the Big Twelve Championship. I believe so. I believe so, so that that would have been my memory for that one. I always come back to that two thousand <clears throat> game. I always come back to that, and I was I was still so young. I didn't really understand a lot what was going on during that game. I just remember my dad saying, "Hey." OU has this new guy named Bob Stoops. We're going to start watching OU football again because it's not a disgrace after the John Blake era and the, and the Schnellenberger era. And I remember sitting down and my dad cheering his ass off. And I just, that was just my way of my introduction really into OU football and understanding like, Oh, OU is a big deal. And, you know, like my dad, an immigrant, you know, from Iran, like this dude's totally into this game. And I remember him being so pissed that, oh, you got down, I think like 14 to nothing to Nebraska in that 2000 game. And then they just start playing lights out defense, killing Eric Crouch in the backfield. Uh, Jason, uh, not Jason, Jason White, that was the next year. Josh Heupel throwing off his back foot for Andre Wolfolk for touchdowns. Uh, Antoine Savage all those dudes, and then I, I still have that, I'll, like a lot of people do, still have that Sports Illustrated cover where you have, it's a move over Nebraska, OU's number one now, 
And it, it's a great experience. And of course, now I've watched the full game as an adult and OU in that second half, they were just truly dominant. They did not let Nebraska get anything past them. And then Nebraska, they, cause they had at that time was Frank Solich who took over for uh, the, one of their legendary coaches and man, they, they lost two games. They went to a national title, got beat by Miami. And the next thing you know, they're firing this guy. And then it was downhill from there. Bill Callahan, somebody else, Bo Pelini, uh, that weird experiment with the Oregon State coach and Mike Wright. I think Mike Riley. Now it's Scott Frost. And apparently it's just basically if you're a coach at UCF, you can just get the job done because it's Orlando and it's Florida. And so it, it's just wild to think about it. Uh, just that the memories with Nebraska, because our memories are going to be different than boomers and gen X folks, because we never got to experience that big eight playing for a national title basically every single year. And it, it's just completely different. I do, I do remember one of the things I do remember is when didn't, didn't one of the Nebraska players like throw a punch at a fan or something. Uh, during the game in 2000? It was like a pregame or postgame or something like that. I remember some someone threw something. I don't know if it was that game, though. Maybe and it was. I remember postgame after OU beat Nebraska, a lot of oranges being thrown onto the field because, of course, that was the year of the Orange Bowl in which OU won that national title, which, God, 21 years ago, like it seems like yesterday. And it, Jesus Christ, man. Let's move on to this game. Early on, I mean, Oklahoma up 37-14 to 14 on Tulane. Nebraska, that day before or two days before, plays Illinois. Looks awful on offense. The defense still pretty okay. Their defensive, their defensive front seven is pretty decent. It's actually really pretty good. And I think that's going to be a test for OU. And so let's go to just speaking sooner specifically. What advantages does Oklahoma have against Nebraska? I think one that stands out is probably the third down conversion rate. I think uh, Nebraska is allowing like, uh, oh my gosh, I think it's like 61%. Holy crap. Of third down conversions where OU hasn't been the best on, on third down offensively. I think they're only converting like uh, 45 or 46%. So um, I think in this game, they probably kind of turn it up there. Um, so when OU or when Nebraska has OU in third and long, they have to capitalize on that. I don't think they will considering OU's offense. So I think that's the big advantage is OU's just going to be that much better on third down. <clears throat> I think OU's advantages are, and you can, and tell me if I'm wrong. I think OU's advantages are just having competent coaching. I think, yeah. I, I think I that think helps. I think OE's advantages are having a lot of depth in areas in which they need that depth where Nebraska, I mean, because Nebraska's offense, their offense is just not good. It's basically Adrian Martinez running around. He's uh, a running back and quarterback. Yeah, he's their leading rusher. He's a guy that OU's he's a guy that Mike Stoops would traditionally forced to stay in the pocket and make passes and just rush three, which we know how those that has worked out several times in his tenure with the uh, mobile quarterbacks. Uh, spoiler, it never really worked out that well. Um, but 
I'm just, I, OU has a lot of depth. They're developing a lot of depth. And they've got a lot of, they've got a lot of good coaches in place. And I think that in Nebraska, they don't necessarily have that. Now I think Nebraska has some talent in the trenches. That's going to give some OU, OU some trouble. I think this game, I, I think the, the spread at 22 is a little bit high. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I'd probably go like 18. A little bit high. Still three scores? Yeah, I just think I think Oklahoma's just gonna pull away eventually. How how close do you think like do you think the game is close at halftime and OU pulls away, or do you think OU basically has like a ten point lead going in a half and then I bet it goes down the third quarter and they pull away in the fourth. All right. Maybe think, late third. Are we giving too much credit to Nebraska? Because they lost to Illinois, which is not particularly a great team, and then they went and beat teams like Fordham and Buffalo. I mean, of right. course, OU escaped Tulane in a perfect storm of just complete screw-ups here and there and everywhere, and then they go out to blow out a Western Carolina team in that nobody really cares to talk about because it's Western Carolina. They took their paycheck <laughs> to get their butts beat and for OU to get repetitions in. Um, other advantages that OU has, they've got wide receivers. I, I, I have yet to see Drake stoops that much. We've seen him catch like one or two passes. Yeah, he's like two, two, I think. And I really like what I've seen from Jaden Hazelwood. His lack of, his lack of hesitance. He feels, looks like he feels natural and comfortable in those motions. Marvin Mims still looking for him in the second half. I love what they're doing with Austin Stogner, especially if the pocket's clean because Spencer Rattler had all day to throw. Okay. It would be unfair to suggest, oh, he's made improvements after after week one. He had all day to throw. He's not going to have that clean of a pocket for the rest of the season, most likely. And even maybe even against Tech, he won't have that clean of a pocket. Uh, the running backs, oh, my, Eric Gray, talk about a bright spot. <laughs> when he has room to run, he has that dude's cuts are incredible. Like he had a cut before a cut. I, I, I jump cuts. Double you don't cuts. see that with OU running backs. I had not seen that in a long time. Not, a, not even with Joe Mixon, Joe Mixon would cut and just run your ass over. Maybe like Eric Roy Finch, Ray, maybe. Like, yeah. And then Roy Finch wasn't, wasn't spectacular. He was Eric gray. I mean, he anticipates a cut and he gets you leaning one way, basically like a crossover in basketball, it gets you leaning one way and immediately goes the other way on a dime and then just takes off because he has he his pure speed and has talented hands. And then you got smooth sailing Kennedy Brooks, which people just took for granted. You can tell because he could. I did that God, for God, sure. He, he is smooth sailing. His, he his vision is incredible. And again, when he has lanes, and even when he doesn't have lanes, he still gets upfield for at least a gain or two or three. And you know what? That matters. Those like even if it is a gain of two, I'd rather have second and eight than second and eleven. And talk about Jaden Weatherman Knowles. This guy's <laughs> this guy's giving us the weather forecast on OU's broadcast on whatever days and scoring touchdowns on Saturdays. I was happy for him. That dude can that guy's got some speed. I was hoping he'd get a hat trick. I was hoping he'd get a three touchdowns. Yeah. Um uh, disadvantages that OU has though. Oh man, I think the the big one is I think Nebraska's a pretty good third third quarter team, and that's why I kind of alluded they might go to the the late third there. Um, they play their best football in the third quarter, and, and I mean it, it kind of trickles over to the fourth quarter. But 
Um, third quarter, especially when OU kind of slumps, and we know that they do slump at times, uh, Nebraska can really, really turn it on. I think that could be a big disadvantage for OU late. I think that's a good point to bring up. And I think, of course, Alex Grinch is going to be hammering home Finish the game, finish the game, finish the game. We're not worried about the defense here. Like the, the, the defense never really hits a lull. The it's the def- offense, yeah. The defense never really hits a lull. It's the offense <clears throat> that gets out of rhythm, which causes the defense to stay on the field and get gassed. And then it's the offense that's unable to get things to get going, which is wild to think about because we weren't having these discussions in 2016 through 2019, right? These were not the discussions we were having. It was the other way around. Is the deep? Uh, the, yeah, it was like score, 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 and yeah. then hopefully, unbelievable, you get a stop somewhere there. And so the, the 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 roles are almost reversed here, and it's not because OU doesn't even have the talent. It's that it, again. To me, it goes back to that lack of killer instinct. And I know it's a traditional rivalry. Everybody's excited for this game. Everybody's pumping this game up. I think both teams are going to be excited. I think there's going to be a lot of big plays to be had. I think Oklahoma's got the talent advantage. I think we can both agree that Oklahoma's got the talent advantage. Nebraska's recruiting has been just like shit ever since they it's left the Big 12. Good. It has been horrible. And But, you know, I still expect it to be a game because it's a rivalry game. And anything can happen in a rivalry game, especially in the 50th year commemoration of the game of the century. Uh, you know, that's something that's awesome. Uh, what are your expectations for Saturday? What, what, what do you, what do you expect to see? I think the offensive line finally finds some sort of rhythm. I don't think it's across all five positions, but I think they finally nailed down maybe three, maybe even four. Um, and you kind of start to see that improvement going in going into the season. So, um, I would expect the offensive line play to improve. Um, I do want to see Spencer, Spencer Rattler improve, especially in the third quarter. Um, you know, I think he still will find that slump, but maybe you start to get like a, a Marvin Mims involved in the third quarter to get you out of that slump a little bit faster. So mm. those are two things I'm kind of expecting to see as far as, you know, is this the same Oklahoma we expect to contend for a championship? So um, I'm looking for those two things on Saturday. Yeah, I'm also I'm also looking for an intentional run game. Spencer mm-hmm. Rattler should have Good not point. have had to throw the ball 39 times against Tulane. He should he simply should have just not had to throw the ball 39 times. That's that that's it's that simple against a team like Tulane. Now let's give credit where it's due. Tulane looks like they're going to be a pretty decent team in the AAC, but still should not have had to throw 39 times against that team. And, of course, the offensive line, it didn't seem like they were up to snuff for that game. It, it looked like a dress rehearsal where they thought they, you know, there's rumors about players taking tape off their wrists and that they thought they were done with the game. Regardless, you should still beat that team to the ground with the talent discrepancy that's there. So I expect OU to intentionally try to run the ball, and I expect OU to play a lot more zone. Once, because OU... Even playing against Western Carolina, you saw them get beat man to man, which I don't like. Of course, especially against Western Carolina, as soon as they played it, started playing far more zone, far more quarters, and the and and uh, cover three, they were lights out on defense. Uh, Western Carolina wasn't going anywhere. Perry and Winfrey, Jalen Redmond, all those dudes lived in the backfield consistently. And if Perry and Winfrey can consistently get on the field and stay on the field against the Nebraska, 
I think Oklahoma is going to see success there too because Oklahoma's got a great defensive line. They've got a great linebackers. They've got great depth in the secondary. Oklahoma's talent level is higher than Nebraska. They just are going to have to keep an eye on 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 Adrian Martinez and all that stuff because he is so mobile and he can turn the flip. He can flip the switch so fast. We I saw it during one of their other games. Of course, it was against Fordham that everybody is covered but everybody else is also playing man. And so he flips a switch, runs the opposite direction and gets a touchdown. It's like a 60 yard play. And that's something that OU's got to worry about. But on defense, it's speed D. They actually have speed on the field unless of course, and God bless him, Justin Broyles. I wish he could get more speed in those legs. And it's just not where he's a physical guy. Don't get me wrong. Justin Broyles there out is out there to lay the wood, but, he, he just doesn't have the speed, uh, and that's that's what concerns me about him when he gets in. Um, you think the rotation shrinks for this game? Yes, absolutely. And it's one of those games where you want to see your starters kind of play, um, you know, 70, 80% of those snaps instead of kind of splitting and seeing what your depth is. Um, I think guys like Jalen Redmond, this could be a really big game for him to kind of solidify that spot as a as a heavy rotational player, starter, whatever you want to call it. Um in the secondary, I think you start to see it shrink a little bit as well, um, especially with with some injuries there. But um, you're going to see guys playing a lot more snaps, at least defensively. Mm-hmm. I expect to see a lot of the two deep. I don't expect to see too much three deep guys, uh, unless you're a wide receiver. Uh, I don't. I don't expect to see much Brian Darby. I expect to see a lot more Drake Stoops. Uh, I think I Darby's know. out. He might be out this week. Nah, that's fair because he did get that. Oh, he did get the hit pointer, right? He got he he, he got hit pretty hard. Uh, I, I but I do expect to see a lot of guys in the two deep, not a lot of three deep. And you know, players to watch. I mean, I'm looking at Eric Gray. I'm looking at what he can do because he is like as we saw a guy that can really make plays, especially in the open field. And if the offensive line gives him time to do so. I think he can really be an asset for Oklahoma moving forward. We saw Jeremiah Hall carry the ball last week, which is really <laughs> weird. Braden Willis is suddenly more athletic because his number has changed, which is just a fun thing to that think happens. about. And, uh, <laughs> but no, I, I think I'm, I'm really looking for Eric Gray. I'm really looking for Perry and Winfrey to continue to solidify his dominance on that defensive line as the more reps he gets. Because like you said, after the first game, He's not a guy that you just plug in and instantaneously, boom, he's going to rock your shit. He's a guy that he continues to get more reps and gets to understand what the offensive line is doing. He learns, he picks up quickly, and then starts living in the backfield. And you do that in tandem with LaRon Stokes, with Jordan Kelly, with Corey Roberson, with Jalen Redmond, Nick Benito, Caleb Kelly, I'm naming a lot of names, Reggie Grimes, Marcus Stripling, Isaiah Thomas. Holy crap. Like this is the deepest the defensive line has been on Ethan Downs. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, seriously. And so there's a lot of players to watch. I'm looking at defense, which is again, a complete 180 from four years ago, which is wonderful to think about. And so Keys to this keys to success this week. One of them is don't turn the ball over. What are the others? I think you gotta spread the ball out. I think uh, you already mentioned Braden Willis. I think he's one of my guys I'm watching. Um, 
you know, can he really help this offense when they start to slump, when they, when they need to go somewhere elsewhere with the ball, can he really step up and be that guy? And I think um, this is going to be one of those games where the more you can spread the ball out, the worse it's going to get for Nebraska because they, they just can't cover everyone. They can cover the, the you know, Jaden Hazelwood, Marvin Mims. They know who those guys are. Um, but as, as soon as you have guys like Brayden Willis making big plays, it's just, I mean, you're going to be on your heels all day. So I think one of the keys to success is just finding finding new wrinkles in this offense you can use for Spencer Rattler. What are your concerns about this game? That Oklahoma is in a close game in the second half, and they just don't know how to win. That's isn't that frustrating? That's that that's still a concern years later. Which I mean, if they do come out and it is a is a fight in the fourth quarter and come out and win, that's a that's a good sign for Oklahoma. But obviously, you have problems elsewhere. Right. If it's a close game, but I mean, keys to this, keys to success. For football, are usually the same, right? Uh, win the battle in the trenches, win the turnover battle. Right. <clears throat> I think the defensive line depth is one of the keys, uh, keys to success because I, although Nebraska's been playing a little bit better on the offensive line, there's no way they've they face that much depth. So you're gonna have fresh legs going to them all all game. Yeah, and that's and that's one of the big things about how often they had been able to filter in players in and out those first two games against Tulane. That was one of our complaints was over substitution. You are keeping these guys almost too fresh. And then of course, Western Carolina, you saw, you saw God, the same amount and more players in the second half. Like I, 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 I'd never heard of players before. I had to look through the depth chart to see who people were. And so OU is going to be really fresh heading into this game. Nebraska, they're those dudes. I mean, they played Fordham, but they also played Buffalo, which is kind of a respectable team. They're they're not a they're not a D two team like Fordham is. And so I'm really curious to see how that it's going to affect it because in the first half, I think they'll be all be ready to go. The second half, like I agree with you, I think Oklahoma they might hit a lull in the third quarter where Nebraska tends to come out and make adjustments, but I think Oklahoma, I think they're going to be, I think they're going to come out in the third quarter and put on a show as well. Because uh, I think everybody's excited for this game. And so a key to success, of course, offensive line play, defensive line play, don't turn the ball over. Spencer Rattler making the right reads. And it's not even making the right reads. Like, he trusts his arm ability so much. Like that pass he threw against Tulane with Marvin Mims in between basically three dudes. I I commend him for trusting his arm and believing the play that will be there. But at a certain point, dump the damn ball off to Eric Gray. That's all it is. And that's that's what Baker Mayfield went through in his second year at OU when they started one and two, when they played Houston Energy Stadium, and then when they lost to Ohio State at home. And he just went through his simple progressions and just dumped the ball off when necessary and taking the ball like second, second and six is better than second and ten. And I think that's something necessary that Oklahoma's got to do, especially against this Nebraska front seven, that they're tough. They're gritty. They can get, like, Nebraska's defense is a cloud of dust. They make things more difficult than it needs to be because they are very, very, very gritty. And I wonder how OU's going to react to that. I Because as we've seen in the past, OU, I mean, I don't want to call them soft, but if they get punched in the face, sometimes they don't respond well. 
Right. And that's what exactly what Nebraska is going to attempt to do to OU. And that's what Kansas State does to OU every year. That's what TCU tries to do to OU every year. That's what Iowa State tries to do to OU every year. That's what Texas sometimes tries to do to OU every year. Uh, but I, I'm I'm a little bit concerned. So I'm 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 that's that's something that I'm really looking forward to is the battle in the trenches, but also Spencer Rattler taking care of business where it needs to be. What about Spencer Rattler sliding when he needs to? Oh my god. Because that seems to be a, a big issue. Oh my god. With his game. When he tried to stay upright and put the <laughs> ball over the goal line, I was on, losing now. my mind. I'm like he thinks he's I, Jalen Hurts. I do I do not understand what he was doing, but he, yeah, protect your body. He's not like I know I know he built up his body a little bit over the summer. I know he's more muscular. But and I know he's been eating canes because of NIL. But bro, you can't. Oh, you cannot suffer an injury like that. Even Baker Mayfield. Did Baker Mayfield lower his shoulder a couple times? Yes, he did. But did he also make business decisions, slide and get out of bounds? Because Lincoln Riley said, "Hey, you're all we got." Besides Kyler Murray on the sideline, he Trevor still Knight. did with with Kyler Murray on the sideline. That's something that Spencer Rattler. I I love the winning mentality. I love that he's willing to get his shoulder down to get gritty and get those extra yardage. But at a certain point, unless it's like a, a, at the end of the game, you're trying to convert a third and one or a fourth and one. It's not worth it. He, and he's got to, and he's got to stop. Um, what's your guess for the final score? Final score. I'll go. Uh, I think Oklahoma will score some points. I'll go 42. 28, something mm. like that. All right, so don't cover the spread, but they cover the over-under. Yeah, I'll go with that. I give, like that. Give me Oklahoma. Mm, give me Oklahoma 38, Nebraska 24. I think it's okay. a 14 point. I, I don't think it's a I don't I don't think it's a three-score game. I think it's a two-score game. We're pretty close in that aspect. Uh, I expect it to be entertaining. I expect both fan bases to be passionate. I expect a lot of Oklahoma fans to really embrace Nebraska fans because it's the first time in a long time that they're coming back together because this rivalry means a lot, especially for the older folks. So I'm excited to see what that looks like. And you have now, to expect that this might be Scott Frost's last game if he loses. So is, is this a, he's is gonna, this a Scott Frost tar- tarmac game where he gets fired after? He, he might get left to Norman a little bit. So. I think they come out with a little bit of extra motivation, kind of like Tulane. Like, this is a big game. And I think, in a weird way, Oklahoma doesn't see that target on their back each and every week just yet. I feel like they, they come out. Yeah, they come out, and they think they understand that, that who they are, but uh, but what this game means to everyone else. Like, if you can knock off Oklahoma, then that's probably going to make your season. So, yeah. I think it gets a little bit close. I agree. So, we're bringing back a segment that we used to do at the old podcast. Let's go to some general notes. USC, Clay Heldon, feels like he's been there for a million years. Can't believe it's been seven years. <laughs> Finally done. Immediately, Bob Soup's rumor starts. I love if you, that. If you go to the Pac-12, you're not serious about playing football, apparently, unless you're Oregon, who just beat the hell out of Ohio State, and Ohio State came back came back late. But I mean, 
are we surprised at all <laughs> by this move? No, no. Clay Hilton's been needing to go for about two years, and yeah, um, Clay Hilton's been needing to go for like five years. It's it's one of those things where I, I saw it and I was like, it kind of goes back to the Relique Brown thing, like him, like and Gentry Williams in a way. It's uh like how is USC leading for these guys? I mean, Clay Hilton's probably going to get fired, and that's going to be that for those recruiting races. So, um. It's it's finally happened. I'm glad it happened. USC probably is glad it finally happened. Um, I think there's a weird thing about James Franklin maybe having some interest in USC, but uh, I would love for Bob Stoops to go to USC. That'd be great for me. That would be bad for US. <laughs> I would love Bob Stoops at USC. I, I man, Bob Stoops would install the men, the CEO mentality at USC that Herm Edwards did at ASU without 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 the amount of <laughs> cheating that Herm did. I he think hands out a hundred dollar bills and rock and roll tequila bottles. Jeez. Don't forget your tequila. It, it's incredible. Uh, I can't believe Clay Hilton made it at USC that far, but I, I think, I think, I think James oh, it's, Franklin, it's a thing where USC probably isn't that serious about football right now, which is wild because like a lot of people view them as a blue blood. Yeah. But I mean, Pete Carroll, was an excellent coach there. I mean, I think yeah. he probably propped it up more than anybody. Yeah. And then it just like fell apart after he left. It's like somebody murdered their program like OJ. <laughs> um, let's talk about Texas. And what I thought was funny, Sark Sarkeesian talks so much about preparing for the SEC schedule and that they like this is what it's gonna be like in the future. And uh, Ian Boyd over there at Texas saying that Sark's really getting prepared for an SEC team like Arkansas and Arkansas just completely went in dry on them. Like bite the pillow. You are dead. Arkansas just killed those dudes. How about AJ green with a big touchdown from uh, the Tulsa area? Yeah. Pretty cool. Right. Just were you surprised how I, I thought, I think I went on a podcast last week with Matt, the prayer report on Twitter. Um, I think I picked Arkansas to win. I can't remember, but I didn't think it was going to be that bad. No, I didn't see it. Just Texas just getting ran over. Um, I did think Arkansas was probably going to win. I think that was going to be a, a pretty good game for them. But Because uh, I like Sam Pittman. Yeah. And I mean, no one could get Arkansas that motivated to beat Texas and Sam Pittman. Let's be honest. So that's fair. it's uh that was one of those things where we, I kind of, I watch it a bowling alley with a bunch of Texas fans <laughs> drinking like $8 Bud Lights. That's fantastic. Um, and they were just pissed off. And I go to like sixth street or some other street and there's some, I don't think the Texas fan was crying about the game. I think he was crying about something else, but. Uh, we can pretend it's about the game. I pretended I should have tried to get a picture. That's my biggest regret about that trip is not getting that picture of that Texas fan crying. And keeping up with old Big 12 news, AM almost losing to Colorado, making the SEC look bad. Like making making the SEC look bad, the future conference <laughs> the Sooners. And that was a that was another thing, like Everyone was watching AM and in Colorado before the Texas game. Yeah. And all these Texas fans are, are cheering when, when AM is messing up and Colorado's making a big play. And then you go like three, four hours later and everyone's just like, shit. 
Man, I, I thought I thought Colorado had it in them, and at the very last second, got too cocky. I, I was so upset about that because I was I was ready to dunk on A and M so hard because those dudes like that cult over down down there in College Station, weird cult, racist, weird mentality. I'm not saying all Aggies are racist, but I'm saying the majority of the Aggies I've encountered don't prefer the company of people of diverse backgrounds. Uh, it's, it's, it's strange. <laughs> uh, it's, it's very weird and I don't like it. And it, it's just very odd. And I was rooting for Colorado and they couldn't pull it out. And, you know, it, it made, it made me miss though. It did make me miss the old big 12. It did make me miss the old yeah. big 12. And then we got OU Nebraska this coming weekend. And that there's going to bring that nostalgia back of the old big 12. Once again, uh, let's talk about the new big 12. I love the new Big 12. Cincy. What a great idea. BYU, which I, I remember I was a huge advocate for BYU like six years ago when this was going around. Yeah, half I, their fans were following you. Yeah, I got like 50 BYU followers in like a, in a pattern of like two days. And then, of course, they added Houston. And then you add, what was the, what was the last team they add? I don't even like care anymore. UCF? And you. In UC, well, yeah, UCF. So UCF, Houston, Cincy, and of course you got BYU. And the, the BYU honor code was such a big deal then, but now nobody cares about the BYU honor code, right? Uh, Although Baylor is not down at that point. Unbelievable! It's unbelievable. And Mike Gundy coming out and saying that he thinks this makes the Big Twelve stronger. If uh, it, it just it blows my mind that six years ago, Bob Bowlesby and all those dudes spent all that money, and David <laughs> Bourne, David Bourne actually got together with Cincinnati's president and was like, hey, "He died for that." We want Cincinnati in the Big Twelve because a it was going to increase revenue, but we also wanted to go to twelve teams because you can't be the Big Twelve and only have ten teams. He advocated for Cincinnati and just like somebody else. And <laughs> not a lot of people wanted Houston because of the recruiting grounds, which makes sense. And like everybody else, including myself, was like BYU is a national recognized brand. That stadium in Provo, Utah is incredible. Would love to play out there. It's just a little bit further out west, but who cares if they can't play on Sundays? You figure that crap out because that's a lot of money. That's a lot of brand. That's a lot of recognition. That's a lot of awesome. And I, I'm just so curious if if the Big 12 adds Cincinnati and then somebody like BYU six years ago, if we're even having this conversation of Oklahoma and Texas moving to the SEC because you pair Cincinnati, which in in their years where they have down years, but they're also years where they, they're very good. They should have beaten Georgia, I think, in this and I think was it the Sugar Bowl or some sort of bowl last year. They should have beaten Georgia in one of the bowls last year. Right. And in BYU, they're just a nationally recognized brand, regardless of how good or bad they are. I'm curious to, to, to think about like a revisionist history, how this would have all ended up. And like, of course, the conference would have likely had to split into East and West divisions. But man, it, it's it's unbelievable to me that they wasted all that money, said, no, nah, we're not going to expand. And then as soon as OU and Texas, the two marquee teams, and the one of them that's carried your conference for basically two decades are out, now you add in UCF, Houston, BYU, and Cincinnati. 
like, what are we doing here? Is it, do you think this is just a means to bridge till 2025 and then the conference dissolves until everybody else can find out their landing spots? Yes. Yes, that's exactly what it is. The other thing is, like, how does Bob Bowles have a job still? Exactly. It's like, well, shit, we just lost OU in Texas. Why don't we just use their idea they proposed was that five years ago, six years ago, something like I think that? It's, I think it's 2016, but I feel like I've aged like 30 years since then. So it's just like, what? Are, what are they, why? What was the point of any of that? Because the conference is dead because you didn't you didn't do what you were supposed to do five years ago. Now you're trying to do it without the two blue bloods that kept the whole conference together anyway. So, it, I mean, it is just a means. I mean, for the, the eight teams that will remain, it's it's buying them time to find a landing spot. For the other four teams getting involved, it's proving that you belong in the Power Five. Right. And it all comes down to 2025 for that. So. Unbelievable. It's all dumb as shit. I mean, Bob Bowles oh, yeah. is an idiot. I need, we need to have Bob Bowles be on the podcast. Oh, I'm going to DM him. I'm probably blocked, though. If Doug, if Doug would come on, I think Bob might come on. I need to see what Doug's medicine is this week. See if he can come on. Yeah, let's talk talk a little bit about what he, about what Mike Gundy said. Uh, how about Iowa State after that close call with Northern Iowa, who is a good team in their own division. They did the same thing the last couple of years, almost losing to UNI. Did the same thing that they've done the last few years and losing to Iowa, but actually got that ass beat by Iowa like pretty badly. Physically, they just lost the battle. They weren't just out game planned. They were just physically beaten to hell. We're not surprised by that, right? No, no, that always happens. I just don't understand. Like, I guess Iowa wakes up for that game, maybe, and it's just not good the rest of the season. Do you think it has something to do with the conference in which they play in the big, because I was so focused on two tight end sets and shoving the ball down your throat. And Iowa state is so focused on stopping the spread in which they're not prepared to take on that. Um, those amounts of big bodies, despite their offense kind of mirroring well, what I was trying to do with big tight ends. It may have a little bit to do with that. I don't think that's the deciding factor. Of course. I think, I mean, it's just a rivalry game and maybe Iowa just does a better job of promoting like, Hey, you come to Iowa and you play this game and you, you win. That's what you do. Yeah. And, and even, Iowa state's just like, we're in the big 12. We're on our way up. Yeah. And even Iowa state wore the black jerseys and just, they still got pummeled into the ground. Yeah. Somebody mentioned how they looked like the Permian Panthers from Friday night lights. And I thought that was <laughs> intriguing because they actually did. And, it's like, uh, I mean, it's like Oklahoma State playing OU close when they're not that good. It's just, fair. Iowa's just better than, better version of o- Oklahoma State. That's fair. Did you know that Bill Snyder, when he came to Kansas State, basically just took Iowa's logo and said, I want that as a Wildcat, and that's how they got their logo? Really? Yeah. Let me see how close this looks. And also Bill Snyder like tweeting about how proud of what he was of his son for coaching special teams for Kansas State over their win in their wins, which I thought was interesting. Um, but there's a couple interesting games. I think Kansas didn't Kansas State copy the Dallas Cowboys uniform? Something like that. I don't know. They were like, hey, they were look like that. They were like on the verge of just are they just copying everyone's stuff? Yeah. Well, they were on the they were on the verge of 
liquidating the program. Bill Snyder comes in and builds them to a powerhouse, and then OU comes around and, well, diminishes that after they lose the A&M the, the year before or the two years prior. Uh, a couple of big games this weekend. You got Alabama, who looks sharp as hell, against Miami. They Who do they play? Mercer? 40 yeah. to three or something like that. You know, they, 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 they pulled everybody at halftime. Bama at Florida. Who do you got? Bama is going to kill Florida. You think so? Mm-hmm. How bad is, is Emory Jones still starting? Cause he sucks. I think he, I think he's he not is, good. And I think he does as well. I think he's not very, he's good. a good athlete. He just doesn't need to play quarterback. I just what, don't see it. What's Alabama's quarterback's name? Bryce. Bryce Young, is former he, Oklahoma he, offer. Is he better than Spencer Rattler? Not right, like not right now, but is he better than Spencer Rattler was at this point in his career than as Spencer Rattler was at that point in his career last year? Last year? That's mm-hmm. tough. I would say Spencer had the edge in talent. And it's in maybe it's tough to say, right? Because the pandemic year with the lack of training right. and, and spring practice and stuff like that. It's tough to say, and, and that's kind of maybe an unfair question. But the I'd probably there. still kind of nod towards Spencer Rattler. Okay, okay. Because it's just so hard to tell how good a Bama quarterback is just with how many NFL dudes are around him. Like, I could I could go there and hand the ball off and probably yeah. get some Heisman odds going. My, my grandma could take Bill O'Brien's job yeah. and still win a national title with Alabama. Most likely they I mean, run the ball. Like my, my Iranian grandma could come over and just like point at the end zone and just tell them to hand the ball off to this big yeah. guy and they would win games. That's what they did with Derrick Henry. Right. Uh, I I'm siding with you on that one. I'm going Bama is going into Gainesville and they were going to demolish Florida mm-hmm. by probably three to four scores. And people will be like, oh, so like, and of course, Oklahoma fans are going to say, oh, just, hey, Dan, did you just start your scout team there too? Do you guys care about that game? Which will be, (laughs) that'll be fun. What about an old SEC team in Tulane that just beat the hell out of a division two team in Morgan state? They dropped 70 something points on them against Lane Kiffin, who will likely be back for that game because he indeed bragged about being a 100% vaccinated. So he'll likely be back for that old, that Ole Miss Tulane game. I believe Tulane and Ole Miss. What do you, what do you expect in there? That's a, that's a 7 PM kickoff at ESPN two. Are you going to watch that game? Cause I know I oh, am. Yeah. I want to see oh, how yeah. good Tulane actually is. I think I'm going to go. I kind of want to go Tulane. Really? Game. Yeah. Ole Miss I want to go Tulane. Ole Miss look good that first game out. They do. I think Tulane's playing with a lot of swagger right now. And they're not more talented than Ole Miss, but right. um, they've got a close game against Oklahoma. They just had a really good good, good win um, last week. So um, they have some confidence, and I don't know if Ole Miss really is prepared for that. I think they're really – Ole Miss is still a really good team. And Willie but, Fritz is a hell of Willie Fritz is a hell of a coach. He Willie Fritz is not a guy that's ever going to coach at a massive power five yeah. program. He's just not that type of recruiter. He's just not that type of a coach. He's a guy that you're always going to respect and say that MFR has 
always has good, tough teams. Kind of like Chris Kleiman at Kansas right. State. That dude always has good teams that are ready to battle, but it's never going to be at a USC, never going to be at an OU, never going to be at a Texas. Is comfortable where they're at, and the people are going to love them there. I'm curious to see how that game is going to go since it's going down at the Grove, which is a place I'm very excited to visit once OU enters the SEC. But I got Ole Miss, but I really want to see what Tulane looks like, especially considering OU got out to that 37 to 14 lead and maybe did take their foot off the gas and just like stopped caring and then suddenly had to start caring again. So I'm very curious to see how that game will go, despite the fact Michael Pratt was hobbling in and out of those huddles. Right. I just think it's one of those things where maybe you catch Tulane on the wrong week. Like, they're not a better team than Ole Miss. Right. But they're playing with a lot of momentum right now. Um, And I think they could go in and win. I think that's fair. But that is all I have. We have talked about a lot of things, and we'll definitely go – since I guess it's this this weekend, you know, it depends on the it depends on the hydration levels of Saturday. It's 11 a.m. kickoff. We may have post game Saturday evening. We may have it Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon. Who knows? I don't know. What you're Sunday afternoon will be a bad yeah. bad time for me. Yeah. So good old so fantasy league party. Oh god, yeah. Well, so we'll see. We'll see how I that maybe goes. Do it, though it's we'll, just gonna be a little sloppy. We'll see how it goes. But yeah, you have any else? Anything else to plug? Discord. Join Discord. Why Why haven't you joined Discord? Yeah, I, it, last time we mentioned this, I had two people reach out to me. So, hey, man, like, keep on. If you guys want to get in on the Discord, sure. And tonight we had a podcast, like, because I have a lot of stuff going on right now work-wise. We podcast like at 9.30. So we We're didn't busy go live. People. Uh, we didn't go live. But the next time, especially post-game, especially after the game of the century, 50th, 50th year commemoration, got to go live for that got to take your comments got to interact with you guys thank you guys for listening join the discord follow us on crimson and you can follow us on twitter at cc machine you can follow steven at sb you can follow me came robbie and ccm thank you guys for listening we appreciate all of you guys and we will check you guys later